This podcast is brought to you by The Shift. Welcome to Sound and Space, the show that looks at the science behind the scenes. What movies got it right, which ones got it wrong, and the ones where it didn't matter. And today we're going back to issue one with a trio of superhero origin stories. First up, we are checking in with the smallest superhero going as Paul Rudd became Ant-Man. Then Bruce Willis and M. Night reteamed for Unbreakable, but this time they saw superpowers. And finally, having a team up with Miles Moranis and a heap of other spider people and pigs in Into the Spider-Verse. Are you ready to become a hero? Now, the suit has power. You have to learn how to control it. One, because it seems you are the only survivor of this train ride. And two, you don't have a scratch on you. How am I supposed to save the whole world? You can't think about saving the world. You have to think about saving one person. One thing I know for sure, don't do it like me. Do it like you. Welcome to Sound in Space. I'm Andy Gaffney. I'm Shivy Hickey. And I'm Barry Fitzgerald. And welcome to our superhero origin episode where we're looking at three stories of superhero origins. But before we do any of that, Shiv, we have an issue from episode one that we need to address. Do you want to explain yourself? No, you make it sound like I was the only one who made the mistake <laughs> or didn't understand. You were the genius yeah, no. that, um, that, that, that solved this problem. Yeah, like I was the genius who couldn't sleep and at 3am was on ranker.com on their list of, it's a website with all these lists and I get obsessed with them. And um, so in the first episode, we there was the line where Keanu is on the train with in my speed. brain has, yeah. in speed, in speed. Sorry. Yeah, if I'd said bus, it would have been a bit more obvious. But this is a bit where he's on the train before the attempted train hop. And him and Dennis Hopper are like, fight, 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 fight. And he's, Dennis Hopper is shouting in Keanu's face saying, I'm smarter than you. And then Keanu goes, yeah, well, I'm taller than you. Now, that never made sense. Never. Then, ne- not a jot of sense that it just, has it ever made. But a great a, line. Great line. Like, you just appreciated, pre- appreciated it, enjoyed it. But it actually is in reference to Keanu then pushes him up, he gets decapitated, therefore he's shorter than Keanu. Genius. I'm taller than you. That is amazing. And never, ever once entered my head that that could possibly be the solution. It's incredible. How tall is Dennis Hopper in comparison to Keanu Reeves when they both have their heads? This is not a science question. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's a testament to Keanu Reeves. Yeah, it's a testament to Keanu Reeves that you just, you don't question it, you know, because I'm taller and you're like, well, look, he's sold that line. I'll never question anyone who's played Johnny Mnemonic then. Oh, well, look, I mean, that's, it's a Stone Clone <laughs> classic right now. Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah. <laughs> Man, was Johnny Utah. That's he loved the old my... John. He, he loved playing the Johnnies, didn't he? Look, he was, uh, he was some boy from one boy. <laughs> uh, anyway, that is the clarification done. From episode one. Again, I didn't, like, look, I didn't uh, figure that out. That was all shib. So, Bula Bus. Uh, Thank you. Thank Hickey. you. Don't say a word, Barry. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> I, haven't said, I haven't said anything. <laughs> anyway, this being a superhero origin episode, I mean, me and Shiv would only be dirtying the carpet 
if we suggested three films. So we handed the reins to the one and only superhero scientist himself, Mr. Barry Fitzgerald, to suggest to us the three superhero origin movies he wanted to talk about. So, Barry, hit us up with the reasons why you chose your first one, which was Ant-Man. When your small energy is compressed, so you have the force of a 200-pound man behind a fist a hundredth of an inch wide, you're like a bullet. You punch too hard, you kill someone too soft, it's a love tap. In other words, you have to know how to punch. I was in prison for three years, I don't know how to punch. Show me. Terrible. You want to show me how to punch? Show me. <laughs> That's how you punch. I just think Ant-Man is a great, fun film. courses in the MCU as well, and you have to have a film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But it's just, it's just this non-traditional origin story. Just some lad cast into the cast brought into the fold, Scott Lang, uh, Paul Rudd's character, and you know we could have done Steve Rogers and Captain America. You could have looked at Tony Stark and Iron Man, but I think I think that Ant Man is one of these characters that people kind of cast it aside and don't see him as an A-lister. So, and it's also a comedy. And plus, I think there's uh, what does a lot of us heavy lifting is the fact that. There is no real kind of, there's just no kind of explosion. There's no accident. It's just a guy with a bit of tech. That is, I guess, on paper, his origin. But of course, origin stories are so much more than that. And maybe the real origin story are the friends that he made along the way, essentially. It's, it, but also the thing about the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man film is that the suit had been developed. And that's what, they, what I like what they've done in the MCU, with the, particularly with Ant-Man and Spider-Man. They have said, look, let's not show the origin, the full origin story of Spider-Man. So they're just in the MCU, they haven't done it because everyone knows what happened. So why would you show it? And with the Ant-Man, they kind of said, look, the suit was developed 30 years ago. Let's, you know, just say it exists already. And let's see what happens then if someone else has been asked to put it on. And then it's kind of a reboot of the origin story. Origin story two, where someone else starts to, you see someone else using it for the first time. Hank Pym knows all about it. He was living in the thing. I think the MCU does origin stories amazingly well obviously they've done they've, they've had a lot of practice at them but I think they do them fantastically well and they're getting better at them where they kind of can take a bit more chances uh, with them where it's not so much just like the you know the three act origininess of it that you know with things like Captain Marvel they can play a little bit looser with it you know yeah, I mean, they still had that the three the three three layers the three stages of the film in Ant Man as well. You know that that you would have seen in the Iron Man film, the first Iron Man film, where in the in the the final third of the film he really starts to use the suit and really starts to get to come to terms with the Iron Man suit. And the same is in Ant Man. You know, Scott Lang really starts to come to terms with the suit and. You know, with all of these films, they leave these Easter eggs in or these guides. Yeah, they start talking about the quantum realm and you start thinking, right, that's probably going to be in the last third. You know, there's always these little things that people say or that are introduced at certain points. It's in all films, I guess, that that's the right shift. Am I right in saying that these things are put in there and they're like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to refer to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 100 percent. Like um, the the comic, like. Marvel and any of any of the films based on comics, they're not really a strong point of mine. I, I wouldn't have seen a lot of them. So I hadn't actually seen Ant-Man. Um, and I just thought it was a fun little romp. And it, it did like, it explained everything well. It was just written. I quite liked his origin story. Um, I quite liked the fact that he wasn't 
a good guy, but he was a good guy, you know, because they had that bit where he's like, oh, he committed a robbery. He was like, no, 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 I was a burglar. I never hurt anybody. And that that was the big thing. But I do think I do think, you know, when we're saying he's an average guy, he's not an average guy because he can scale the walls and he can get in and he knew all the stuff about how to break into the safe and everything. So, you know, so I don't think he was quite as an average guy as, um, let me see, Tony Stark, for example. Well, Tony Stark. Tony Stark had smart money. Dude. Oh, he it's a smart money. dude. A lot of a super intelligent dude who mm-hmm. built the suit, built the suit by himself. But the thing with with Scott Lang, which I really liked, was this: he took he all the things you said. I completely agree with. He has a skill set you didn't think he'd ever see someone use to do what he did to break mm-hmm. into a house, to break through a, um, a steel door or a door of the um, so well the done safe. the safe really bit. Well. I really liked. Yeah. Very clever. Um, but the big thing for me was that suddenly he picks up this suit and he's at, he's back in the apartment with it and he decides to play with it. And because he's an, uh, an electrical engineer, he has a, he, I think his background is that he's a master's in electronic engineering, something like that, or electric engineering. And he has the where for all and the, the ability to fix the suit because there's mm-hmm. obviously was something wrong with the suit and he fixes it. A technology he didn't build, but a technology yet he was still able to fix and get it to to work to some extent. But obviously he didn't know what it was going to do when he got it to work. And that's what I thought was really clever that he showed him doing this, that suddenly he wasn't put off with trying to fix something like this. Um, and that's the whole kind of a, a burglar that he is, using yeah. the right term, I guess, instead of using a, a, anything else. Um, because he's all about tech and technology. And yeah, I kind of like that. That's just all stealthily put in. A lot of people don't um, don't see that from him. They just see him as a guy who put on the suit and becomes his Ant-Man. But yeah. he's a whole lot more to him. Yeah, and, and his I, background and, and his I have training. To, I have to say, I loved his friends. <laughs> oh, he's oh, awesome. it's, it's amazing casting. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. There was great chemistry in their friendship. Like it was, that was so well done. So well done. Yeah, I'm not a that, Michael Douglas fan. How can you not love Michael Douglas? I thought he was great in this. He film. was great it's, in it. Yeah. But I just there's just something about him where I'm like, I just don't like him as. Was your stone too romanced? <laughs> I just, I just find him really hard to buy as a good guy. Well, he's not. Well, he's not. He's a. Uh, you know, he's a. Uh, there's always a little bit of kind of shade there. Whatever. He may not have been the best, the best father mm. and stuff like that. You know. And again, he was in Jewel in the Nile, <laughs> so he gets a pass. And another, another actor in it. Um, that I absolutely love her is Dr- Judy Greer. I yeah, she, yeah yeah she is just she is so phenomenally funny. Like she is just she has these great facial expressions everything. And I just I suppose it just it made me kind of sad that like that character was that character just is there to play the mother the protective mother of the child you know. And it's just so unfortunate because Judy Greer can give so much more than than what her character. Yeah, was scripted she, for she voices one of the characters in archer don't yeah, she yeah, yeah, she's, yeah she's in arrested yeah. development as well she is just she's gifted yeah. she's, she's hilarious gifted. Yeah. and yet like in things like this which she's great and in like in jurassic world she can sell whatever she wants but she does you know you just kind of want you know you want someone to just give her exactly what she deserves exactly you know? she deserves 
a role that where she can shine herself. Why do we love an origin story? Because as human beings, human beings, I believe, find it difficult to accept something is as it is. We need to know the why behind. So we're always like, we could be presented with this person, but we want to know why that person is that way. So it's always interesting to go back. It's even like, you know, in therapy, a therapist will always start with, tell me about your childhood. Again, that's your origin story. It explains who you are, why you are, what you do. Um, But in terms of like, for me, what makes a good origin story is I love a dark past. Um, I like tragedy. Um, and And I know it's not Marvel. Look at me knowing it's not Marvel. But I love Batman's origin story. So I think, and I think that's why people like an origin story. We need to know why. What do you think makes a great origin story? Like of these three that you watched, perfect origin story. What are we talking? What flavors are we throwing in there? Mm. Okay, so, so it would be the, for me, it would be the kind of unaware of abilities and discovering those abilities and honing the abilities and watching that journey. If, if that makes sense, you know, um, try not to be specific and name the film. Um, but I, I like when when there is these these characters who have all of these sets of skills that they never paid attention to, that they didn't know made them special or that they didn't realize were there. And then somebody goes, you've got this and trying to convince them that they have this. Because that's, that's what we all want in life. Mm. Someone to come along and say, you got this. You're special. We love yeah. you. Thank you. You're welcome, Andy. <laughs> Barry yes. right so Ant-Man is an example of tech based origin and like, yeah look there's a lot of personal development in there as well but like I said on pure paper it is tech based this dude gets his gets a lot of his abilities from tech other movies you know there's a bit of DNA thrown in there there's a bit of um vengeance yeah, and like like Captain America gets, you know, injected with, with kind of stuff like that, right? So as a superhero scientist, what is the most likely origin story for a superhero? In If it was going to be on Sky News <laughs> in an hour, breaking news, here's a superhero for you boys. What is most likely going to be that hero's origin? I think you have to go a little bit simpler than, than Tony Stark with the Iron Man suit or Scott Lang with the Ant-Man suit. I think you're going to be looking at someone on the street level. You're looking at a street level hero. You're looking at not a not someone like Bruce Wayne as Batman or um, the Punisher, but maybe the Punisher might be the closest you might get to it. And the thing is, the headline would read, yeah, hero saves 15 people from in shootout. Hero uh, arrested next day for vigilante vigilante behaviors that's what that's what would happen in the real world and but you're talking and, and about was, it's, it's going to be a tech-based invention well if there's if there's so if it's a tech-based if it's a tech-based invention we're m- many many eons away from having wearable exoskeleton suits like the iron man suit as portrayed in the films and the ant-man suit is also an exoskeleton suit it's something you put on you put it on outside your body it allows you to do things you couldn't do without the suit and the things that you can do with that suit I'm afraid to say the idea of shrinking is near impossible, um, to be honest. Are you uh, saying just Honey, as... I Shrunk the Kids is not a documentary? Oh, honey, he, oh, wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be saying that, though. He wouldn't be saying that. <laughs> honey, I Shrunk the Kids is, is a known true story based on the, the, the unfortunate accidents 
for Rick Moranis's family in that particular <laughs> film. And was, that's actually, you know, based on a, a true story biography. I think it was ghost written by Bill Murray, if I believe uh, that's correct. <laughs> um, so, um, no, the, 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 the thing with all of these suits is that they're just so far, technologically speaking, away from what we have at the moment. If you were going to have a superhero right now, what I've just said there is what it, what it would be. Someone like street level like the punisher character i always talk about and i love to mention is hawkeye so clint barton he's just a, a particularly very good archer and the other thing he has is he has exceptional eyesight and there are technologies out there that can augment people's eyesight that could be a bionic lens and then if you had that lens and you have this natural innate ability to be brilliant at archery you're you're clint barton so the technology wouldn't be something huge to wear uh, it would be uh, effectively a bionic lens, a contact lens. Now, the trick arrows, yeah, there's a bit of tech in those. That's that's what I would say would be the closest you'd get to in the real world, like tomorrow. I, I don't imagine or envisage anyone flying around in a suit that can do what the Iron Man suit does. There are suits out there that can fly. That's all they can do. They can fly for 10 minutes and then they run out of fuel. But suits that shrink or giving people superhuman, super soldier experimental treatments... Nah, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Particularly because it would be, here's the word, unethical. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know some uh, Ant-Man movie origin story? I got it right here. Oh, let's um, hear it. Let's hear it. Because I got, I got a great story about Ant-Man as well. So I'm, I'm, re- I'm re- really uh, revved up to hear what you're going to say. So you go. I got a great story <laughs> as well, though. This movie was originally meant to be back in the phase one of Marvel, like Ant-Man was going to be one of their, was going to be one of their opening movies. We're making these, we're making Marvel, we're making movies, lads. We're talking Iron Man, Captain America, Ant-Man. Edgar Wright was yep. hit up to write and direct it. This was in 2003, which was even pre-Marvel Studios. And then phase one happened. In 2012, so a long time had already passed, there was a bit of test footage. However, Wright, had a friend who was a producer on all the Cornetto trilogy movies, uh, Eric Fallner, um, but he had cancer. And Edgar Wright really wanted to finish the Cornetto trilogy so he could see it in case something had happened to him. So Wright wanted to make uh, The World's End before Ant-Man. He did that, and thankfully the gentleman got better. So he went back to Ant-Man. Then he, uh, he casted... Paul Rudd over Gordon Joseph Gordon Levitt. Joseph Gordon Levitt was the other option for Scott Lang. Yeah, MCU re- Marvel really wanted a younger Ant Man, so they wanted Joseph Gordon Levitt. But he said, "No, let's give it to Paul Rudd. I want you know, I, it needs to be it needs to be kind of funny." But because of all the delays, because of you know these issues of casting and the fact that he made uh, the world's end first, that Marvel had moved on so much that the MCU had become the MCU at this point. So it was no longer him telling the story that he wanted to tell. He needed to put in things like, you know, you're going to have to connect this up to, you know, the movies before it, the movies afterward. You're going to have to throw in a bit of, like, at least another character. I just said, Garais, just, he, he, you know, sadly he walked. Um, so we nearly got an Edgar Wright MCU movie. If that's the thing that you wanted, I think Python Reed did and a, a very, very good job. And I love Down With Love that he also directed. You should also watch Down With Love. But that is the story of how Ant-Man 
became Ant-Man. A true origin story, if you will. A true, a true political thriller, actually. <laughs> yeah. You know, I imagine all the politics going on there. Um, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the story I have with Ant-Man. So I was at a scientific conference in, in, in Los Angeles in 2018. Already better. Already <laughs> better, my story. Yeah. So it's yeah. the Amer- American Physical Society meeting, and, um, which is Sorry, a huge me- international. American Physical Society meeting, APS. It's all physicists. So <laughs> everyone coming here. It doesn't talk about yeah. physics. I, I think that Andy's shit gets yeah. wild. <laughs> it's 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 off the hook. Um, and we were doing it. We were where was it on? It was in it was in Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles. Uh, I think we were in the Staples Center. There was a, a session there. There was a session with the because you're in in Los Angeles, right? So you're of course you're in Hollywood land. And they the movies reach out to particular scientists in that area to consult with them about particular elements elements and content. And I was presenting two talks at the conference. One was on my technical research. The other one was on my how I use superheroes to do physics outreach at schools and uh, and for the general public. And afterwards, someone said, "Hey, you know what? You got to come along to this Hollywood session we're doing. You want to? You definitely. This is something you want to be there for." So I thought, okay, I'll jump into this. So I sat down. The place was pretty pretty packed for it. And sat down. They had a panel in front in front of us, and. On the panel, I could see one of the guys. I knew who one of them was. The guy was uh, Clifford Johnson, I think. He's, a, he's an English uh, physicist based over in, I think he's in the University of California, I think. Uh, I hope, um, hope he's not listening. I've got his affiliation wrong. Um, but he, he was on the panel. I knew him, and I knew him from his work because he does a lot of great outreach. He's a super smart guy working on highly complicated topics in physics and theoretical physics. He actually, I think, he features in Palm Springs. Uh, Andy, so Whoa, he's the phys- he's the physicist that um, that the ca- whose character was it? Uh, um, who's she's talking to him on a Zoom call when she's in the coffee in the in the cafe trying to learn about time travel and and quantum physics. So he's he's the he's in the film. Oh wow! So they so they were all they were all in front of us and they were t- so they, they were t- going to tell us about what their experiences are with Hollywood and they came to the first guy first guy in the list can't remember his name but he was the scientific consultant guy for Ant-Man and he said that he got a call once uh, through this organization which kind of they the Hollywood press or the Hollywood uh, let's say organizations production companies reach out to this organization for scientific experts so they said yeah we need someone to do quantum physics we need someone for that so they reached out to this guy and said hey we've got a call from marvel studios they're looking for a physicist a quantum physicist would you be available to come out and have a chat with us about the film so he's looked at his schedule and said yeah sure so they flew him out to los angeles i don't remember exactly where he was based but they flew him into los angeles from wherever he was and he walks into the room and who's in the room only the producers and paul rudd is in there as well. So he sits down with them for about three hours to talk about the ins and outs of quantum physics and quantum mechanics because Paul Rudd co-wrote the screenplay. So he he's, his name is on there. So obviously Rudd wants to know a little bit more about what's going to happen with regards to um, you know the quantum side of things, the scientific side of things. So this guy was, you know, ground zero on this film from the start. And then they were going to be starting to film it. I think I think it was the following week or the week after. And it's based in in um, in San Francisco. And he was said, "Hey, we need you to come out to San Francisco for a week as well. So we need you to come out, be there, because we might have questions for you on set about what we're doing and the things we're going to be we're going to be trying to film." And 
the what was great about this is you can see that these films really do turn to scientists to get a bit of a grasp on some of the concepts. Now they are creative with what they do. They have to be because they they you know it sometimes is needed for the story. But you know, as a purist, as a pure scientist, you'd love to see them be as concrete and as close to the science as possible. They do get a lot of things right, but when you start to talk about this film shrinking technology and you start to go very small in terms of size, yeah, a lot of the cl- a lot of the physics that people would accept, classical physics like the, the big world we live in, how cars move and how planes fly and how we interact with people, all of that doesn't apply to the quantum world. So when you start go down to the size of atoms and lower you know, you're a billion, uh, more than a billion times smaller than the length scales that we live in. The traditional rules don't apply. And, 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 and then they start to apply some of those in the film, but then they get a bit creative and that's where the quantum realm becomes a little bit creative, let's say. You see, I would have thought that shrinking was grand. I just thought, like, no, I'm an ignorant fool of a man. Shrinking is quite problematic. Okay, so you have, so you're made of billions and billions of atoms. And you have uh, a mass, and all of those atoms together have individually have a mass. You sum them all together, that's your mass, okay? And your body has a volume. So your body has a particular volume measured, let's say, in meters cubed. Your mass is in kilograms. From that, you can get the density of something. So the density of anything is mass divided by volume. Water, the density is 1,000 kilograms per meter cubed. Uh, gold is roughly around, I think it's 19,000 kilograms per meters cubed. So if you had a cubic meter of water and a cubic meter of gold, because gold is much denser than it, that that cubic meter of gold would be would have a far greater mass than the cubic meter of water. Now, the problem is this. When you start looking at a person and you want to shrink them, you're not changing their mass. The mass is going to stay the same. You want to change their size, which is their volume. So as the volume gets smaller, think about this as a a numerator with a denominator below the line. So think of it as a fraction. You have a number, which is mass, divided by a volume. If the number below the line is getting really, really small, then mass divided by that number as it's continuing to decrease will give you a very, very large result. So that means the density will suddenly start to shoot up. And what happens in the case of Ant-Man or Hank Pym or Hope Van Dyne, they all shrink uh, in the films, that their density gets extremely large to the, to the case where they should be leaving dents on the floor when they're walking. So if he lands somewhere or he is walking along the ground, his density is so big that it should be creating indents or could even fracture or break objects. So that's why the punch that he would give when he was small. Oh, this makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, so the punching thing. Now, the punching thing, of course, is a leap when it comes to the physics as well because yeah, we don't know what it would be like to punch at that size because we'll never be that size. We we never can. Now, the thing, the thing that they... That is, de- um, that is that, a defeatist attitude, Barry. It is a defeatist <laughs> attitude and also a realistic and realist <laughs> attitude. Hank Pym does mention in the film that they talk about decreasing the distance between atoms. That's then you think, okay, that might work. Um, but it does create problems because eventually atoms are going to start to overlap with each other. And what atoms are basically is like mini solar systems. So you have a nucleus at the center, which is like the sun, and contained in there you have protons and neutrons. But every atom has got electrons circling circling the 
the nucleus in the same way that the planets circle the sun. And as these atoms start to get closer and closer together, the electrons, as they orbit one atom, can start to interfere with the other. So you can have those interfere with each other. And if you get very, very small, well, basically, uh, atoms start to cram up on top of each other. And in quantum mechanics, there's a a principle called the Pauli exclusion principle. And that basically states, states that, you know, no two quantum particles can occupy the same quantum state at the same time. And when you're doing things like this, and I'm only hypothesizing here, I can imagine that when you start to get to this very small scale, start cramming lots of atoms together, that there's a good chance where things will try to and want to occupy the same, not only location in space, but also the same quantum space in terms of what these parameters that measure their, their position in quantum reality. And then all that stuff starts going to start breaking down. So it's, it's um, without getting to all of the details, because even for me, I'm not a quantum physicist, even for me, it's deeply, deeply fascinating and hugely confusing. The idea of shrinking people is just, you know, a non-runner. And it's a danger, like, is when, you're sh- when they talk about, like, we can't be shrinking people, is it, does it come down to the fact that they would 100% obviously die? Or is it that we just, we... Like, like, what, like what happens to the lambs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> is it that they would die or is it that we can't do it? We, we just can't do it. There's, there, I, I, there's no one out there. I've never heard, I've never seen any research on shrinking people. I've never seen, I mean, I've seen people building Iron Man suits, I've, I've flying suits. I've seen people talk about, you know, enhancing people's abilities like Captain America. I've seen, I've read about bionic implants, like, you know, like the arm that Bucky Barnes has. Surely someone has looked at something. Like, like not me. <laughs> like, I wouldn't look, I, would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim to have the know-how. But surely someone of brains like Barry would have surely have looked at something and went, I bet I could like, shrink that. Like, like surely oh, someone. It sounds actually, like actually, something Putin would have people looking into. Like, yeah. Like, Did you see Isaac Newton or Vladimir Putin? Vladimir Putin. <laughs> the guy on the horse Putin, with no yeah. top. Oh yeah, that fella. Well, actually, it's funny you say that about the shrinking thing because that's what we have done. You know, think about the microchip. You know, the, the first transistors that were built and the first components that we had for computers were, you know, you were quite big in comparison to what we have now. And the transistor, when it came out in the 50s, it was seen as such a revolutionary piece of technology that when Stan Lee was writing the first story with Iron Man, the Iron Man suit, the power of it, right? All of its secret abilities came down to one transistor. I mean, that's, that's where in the I 50s when that technology was developed. I wish people could see your face while you said that. <laughs> <is> <laughs> one, one transistor. transistor. And now, I, I don't even and, know what it meant, but I, I, I loved it. I believed it. And now, my, and now microchips have, you know, following a, a law from, from electronic developments and microchip development called Moore's Law, you know, that every two years, the uh, number of microchips or the number of transistors in a microchip would go up in a certain, in a certain way. I think it's double every couple of years or even more. Um, and, and what we have now is we have microchips with millions and millions of transistors. So we are shrinking. We are we shrinking technology. No, by that we are logic, doing this, Barry, but we're not shrinking people. Yeah, by that logic, Barry, we just need people to have smaller babies. Uh, like how small you know, we're talking like, here. I mean, I mean, give me a give me a small I mean, baby. Obviously, Barry. evolution. It would take a while to develop it, but I mean, well. There could be a couple of ways for you to shrink. Now it would involve this. You'd have to go to a planet with a very high gravitational field. And just have people been born there, right? And because of the... I could do this on my, on my time travel. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. a couple of generations yeah, there, what would happen Tinder. is... The, 
the gravitational field would affect the natural biological uh, development of a person so much so that it would inhibit normal bone growth, normal um, normal organ development, etc., and could actually shrink people. Well, basically, would make it very hard for you to walk. Anyway, you know, you'd be experiencing a very high gravitational field. You'd be walking around like Mister Soft. You could be walking around like Mister Soft. You gave it maybe two or three generations. You could actually see that the, or maybe more. Actually, to be honest, we're talking a few generations that people would evolve to be smaller to be able to deal with these large gravitational fields. Now we don't have that kind of time to be dealing with those things. But there's other things that would go wrong as well. If you shrink, how do you see? Well, so your you're eyes just smaller, light. so you see everything just bigger. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's no, just very yeah, simple. Yeah. <laughs> well, the eye, so, I mean, if you got a little bit smaller, your eyes might still work. But when you get down to the quantum level, a light light is photons of light. Well, yeah, but surely your eyes... Right, yes! Because right. I was thinking, like, surely your eyes shrink with you. I'm with yeah. you, yeah. Andy. Your eyes shr- yeah, your eyes shrink with you. And I don't know why we're you. doing this. <laughs> Yeah. But your 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 eyes shrink with you, and suddenly your eyes then because he, he goes to the quantum realm, his eyes become the size of atoms. I mean, go smaller even than that. So you're looking at elementary particles, and then even smaller than that, and uh, it doesn't work. It, it, you know, your f- fundamental um, biological processes will break down like sight, and when that when you know when things like that start to go wrong. No, Barry, now, of no, course, not you can, to be you a can conspiracy theory on this, but how do you know for sure? that that happens if you haven't tried to shrink anybody well that's a very good um very good point i like how like we are mainly putting down the fact that shrinking has happened yet because barry hasn't got around to it for all barry's there trying to say like it is impossible there's nothing we could do we're like barry get off your arse like, yeah yeah because if you were saying to me if we were talking just because this man, week was a short week yeah if you were talking to me about iron man suit i'd say well actually you know what there's a lot of there's a lot of possibilities there that's, i mean it's a, that's it's a where you promote your book suit. that's where you promote your book skills oh there's a chance yeah. for that, that yeah there's a chance for that coming up later on don't you worry um yeah so there's this you know if you're building that that's certainly certain that's possible because a lot of the technologies exist already. And the, and the Ant-Man suit is a suit. You know, do you know what it is? It's got an oxygen tank on the back of it. It's just a really fancy scuba diving suit. That's what it is. Um, and I have, so I have a journal uh, called Superhero Science and Technology, um, you know, just plugging it there. And um, I'm the editor-in-chief and I have some, uh, a, a lot of papers in there. One of the opening papers comes from a group in the University of Virginia, and they came up with a way of designing a technology that if it was in a shrinking suit would allow someone to breed if they suddenly were shrunken to the size of an insect. But that all is based on the premise that we can shrink things, and that's the only thing that's missing. In the paper, to even say that, they say, well, the only thing we're missing here is the ability to shrink things. See, I think think the issue with scientists is they overcomplicate everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This is all a very... good job of that already, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We've overcomplicated things. I just want to check. How are we doing this recording again? Um, you know, we should we should have just used the old string and cups. Um, There's you know. no need to be like horrible about. It. I almost said something else, but I'm trying to keep my my language clean. <laughs> well, I have made a checklist for Steve, uh, Scott Lang's powers. Okay, so yeah. and. I didn't expect him to kind of the to, to fall this this heavily, but so <laughs> shrinking slash enlarging, gone. That's out the window. Gone. Oh, forget Jesus. it. Jesus, right? So <laughs> put an X beside that, right? <laughs> I mean, then it's just down the 
controlling insects. Oh, like, no. Go on, Barry. Go on, Barry. How are we going to control some insects? Now, the way he controlled the insects in the film is a bit bananas. So, but... As, but, as opposed to uh, everything else in this film. <laughs> as opposed to everything else. But but there is studies out there where individuals have controlled insects. Not ants, but bigger insects than that. So we're talking beetles. And what they've actually done is they've attached radio receivers to the insects. So they actually put radio receivers on them. And then they were able to send certain um, commands or um, in the form of a radio signal to the beetles oh, to get them to I'd do a certain thing. To maybe to walk in a... Maybe, maybe, now, we're not talking about Paul, Ringo, uh, John, and George here. We're talking about actual insects. <laughs> oh, yeah, insects. The, the, the black guys. Uh, yeah, 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 actual insects. So, But it's a radio receiver you have to put on the insect. Now, that would work with bigger insects. And it's not like, you know, you can command beetles to, here, beetles, imagine. I'm going to command 100 beetles to attack my friends. That doesn't work. Yeah, but imagine you know, an army of too... praying manti. Is Manti the oh, plural? Can you imagine? Man, man, I think it is. Mantises. Like, they would be the feminist's ultimate weapon. They could be. Yeah. Okay. I'm uh, a feminist, so I can say that. that. <laughs> Angie's like, ah. Uh. I'm not. I, I, I'm a, yeah, I, I, I shall not question such a statement. Um, Good. But the, the, the beetle, the, the control in insects like that is certainly possible. Uh, how much has been done? I am, I'm not up to date on everything. I've seen a couple of studies on it. I've done. A, I've presented a couple of things on it before. I haven't done it myself. So it's not my game. But um, controlling ants like he did it, yeah, not not sure of the validity of that either. Um, I, I have a, I have a science related question. Why? Do we have like those random days where there are loads of flying ants? Great question. That's a fabulous question for someone who's an expert on ants, and that isn't, <laughs> and that's not this guy. But you're a scientist. Um, <laughs> I'm a I'll scientist. Feel, I'll, I'll feel this one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, you must be carrying around something in your pocket. No, uh, that the ants want. there's flying ant day. Like, if you, oh, you know, like people are always like, oh, it's flying ant day today. Like, what is it? Are they mating in the air or are they just... Yeah, it must be to do with the fact that they have recently awoken and they have come out from their nest. Like, they have, they have, like, maybe they spend three months in a nest. So when they come out of it, you will know, well, three months later, it's going to be like a mad ant day. It's test test flight day. That's what it is. A lot of them have never flown before. And they're out all having a, having a bit of crack, trying it out for the first time. And and then the next day, then it's not really that bad because they've all kind of got the the, the excitement out. Like, are you spoofing me now? Because it. I'm believing you, so I really hope you're not spoofing. No, me. this okay. this is kind of partial spoofing, partial truth. Okay, so you're basically like Wikipediaing me. I what I would say is I'm not. I'm actually looking at Wikipedia, but it's the Ant Man page at the same time. But <laughs> what I would say what I would say to you is uh, I definitely address that question to an expert on insects. Um, if you could direct me to one, that'd be great. Thanks. Yeah, because yeah. um, I couldn't you know, warm to Anthony in the film because I bloody well hate flying ants. I, well, I don't mind the old ants; they're grand. Um, no, grand I don't mind the ants on crack. the ground. I don't mind those little ones yeah. on the ground because I'm like, oh, look at you, you mad thing! You can lift a giant thing, and you're only tiny. But it's like the flying ones when they're in my face and in my hair and yeah. doing God knows what to but, each other on my but, face. But the, but the thing with ants is that they—I mean, this is the thing with the power thing. Ants really do have super strength. They can lift fifty times their own body mass, which is just quite extraordinary. Uh, but one of the things that helps them, of course, is that their body is has an, a very hard exoskeleton, so very hard and rigid exoskeleton that provides that ex, extra additional um, structural support. We don't have that. And I wonder that if you shrank to the size of a human and you try to pick up things the same way that ants do, 
would your body at that size be able to be able to sustain it and also be able to deal with the the basically the impact because it's newton's laws newton's laws the third law of motion for every action is the equal opposite reaction and you know if you if you throw a punch your body also has to be able to some way to be able to throw the punch and then deal with the aftermath and if if we were at that size with with human bodies i think well start throwing things around the place and picking things up I think your body's just just going to disintegrate. I have I have two very random facts that I learned at three a.m. last night. One is Isaac Newton, not a nice bloke. Basically, hey, you're, how many scientists on this show are you going to are you going to slander? Yeah, it's slaughtering like you know yeah, Isaac Newton. Just like, yeah, he did me. I, I, um, <laughs> I'm going to have one per episode, yeah. um, unless they're female, because then they're great. Yeah, uh, feminism. Penicillin, load of bollocks. <laughs> Let me tell you what, Mister Penicillin did, or Mrs. Penicillin, Alexandra Fleming. <laughs> It was that, was that Mr. Penicillin. <laughs> Mr. Penicillin. Um, but uh, uh, actually, what did, he was, what did no, 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 no. do? All oh, right, Ray, she, no, no, no. Uh, and, and actually, 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 Alexander Fleming. He once he discovered penicillin, he said, "Look, you know, he said to his friends, I want to be known as Captain Penicillin.'" <laughs> <laughs> well, Isaac Newton apparently stole the idea for gravity, but he worked it all out. Not the idea for gravity. Gravity obviously existed. I'm not that. You know, but apparently there was this other guy, Barry's fact checking me now, but there was another guy who'd written about it, but only kind of more from the creative point of view, from the theoretical point of view, whereas Isaac Newton actually put the math to it and established it. And when Newton published this, the guy was like, I should have gotten some credit because this was actually my idea. And Newton was like, no. And supposedly the quote where standing on the shoulders of giants, that actually comes supposedly from this where Newton was the giant and the other guy could only see the horizon because Newton was holding him up. No, it, it, it's, it's <laughs> no, no, right. no, 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 no. What you said, what you said is actually part of some of it's correct. The guy who's, I think you're referring to there is Robert Hooke. That's him. Yeah. Uh, Robert Hooke came up with a law called Hooke's law. It's, it describes how when you These people force naming spring, the laws uh, after themselves. Uh, well, sure. Wouldn't you do it as well? I mean, you know, I've made many if, laws if I and I haven't done it. If 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 I came up with a, if I came up with something in physics, I'd be definitely calling it Fitzgerald's law. And then you know, you know, um, Isaac. It's Newton a good thing your surname's a, not Murphy. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, I'd already have my own law already. I could just go around <laughs> telling people. But but you know, Isaac Newton obviously he died, and then the unit of force in physics is the Newton. The unit of power is the watt the unit of energy is the jewel the unit of telling people that scientific powers in superhero films might not be possible is the fitzgerald you know so um or but, 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 like, I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but i also but but i have to say i really want this stuff to happen so i, I would like to say yes that i'd love to be able to say here and tell you that these powers are going to happen this is possible uh, I, the one thing I do think is the Iron Man suit is 100% a lot of things you see now is 100% possible the, uh, the some of the other suits even the Falcon suit the Adrian Toomes Vulture suit uh, a lot of the other wearables that people have the uh, the bionic arm that Bucky Barnes has perfectly plausible um, it's a bit advanced but we're, we're getting there we're moving on the on the right track um, the even the suit that Black Panther T'Challa wears that absorbs energy absolutely certainly something that could happen but I'm afraid shrinking technology Shrinking suits. Yeah, it's game over. He didn't correct me on Isaac Newton, though. My second random <laughs> fact is just when you said exoskeleton, turtles are not living in their shells. They are their shells. Did not know that. Yeah, that's part of their... I even looked at the diagram. The bodies, it's yeah. mental. 
I'd seen the diagram, but I wasn't sure if the diagram was true yeah. or not. I've said it, so, so yeah, it is. Grim yeah. looking. Thought it was yeah, fake news, fake, fake news and turtles. Yeah, it's a grim looking diagram. Yeah. Um, you can shut up on the on the Instagram. Yeah. That we'll plug <laughs> yeah. Later on. yeah, yeah. Do we want to move on to our second film? Barry has chosen for us. Barry I have, yeah, yeah. Second film is not in the MCU. We have gone for which I think is an all-time classic superhero origin film, and that is Unbreakable. This city has seen its share of disasters. I watched the aftermath of that plane crash. I watched the carnage of the hotel fire. I watched the news, waiting to hear a very specific combination of words, but they never came. Then one day, I saw a news story about a train accident, and I heard them. There is a sole survivor, miraculously unharmed what a movie it was perfection i just loved every single bit of that only thing was i suppose i wouldn't have brought my kid to see um samuel l jackson in the initial thing you know but um i just thought it was the way it was shot it was dark it was gritty which was in line kind of with bruce willis and i just thought it was an absolutely phenomenal film this came a time before, you know, not a lot of superhero movies were, were kind of kicking around. So to do not just a superhero movie, but to do an almost kind of like meta investigation mm. of superhero movies before yeah. superhero movies were coming out. It's like, it's very brave. And I think that's why it appealed to me, because I'm not a big superhero person. So this was kind of like a very easy way to get into it and go with it you know what i mean it just it was an easier thing for me to suspend disbelief to follow you know and it's not that i don't like superheroes films or anything but i suppose i i guess i don't go out of my way to watch them but yeah i found that this was just it didn't come across as a hero film a superhero film but by the time it got to that point i was there i was invested wanted him to be the hero wanted it there is that kind of starting that great montage when he starts when he starts oh, saving people so good. And, he has to, and he has to hood up and that bit I think would change because like, it is a kind of a cold film yeah. but the bit where he just slides the paper across to his son and oh. it says uh, and, saved and by he you know his, hooded oh, no. hero puts his hooded, finger yeah. to his lips like that and the kid yeah, and the emotion of the child fantastic. oh it for me, for me, I have to say what I thought the whole film was, I thought it was, and I said this, I remember going to see this in the cinema in 2000, because it came out after X-Men, and I remember seeing it with a couple of friends, and I said afterwards, I thought, because we knew there was going to be a twist in this film, it's an yeah, M. Night exactly. film, and you knew there was going to be a twist, I thought the twist was this was the first issue of a comic book, that some kid was reading it. And they were just, what you were getting was somebody reading it in a in a restaurant and then they got to the end. Even the piece at the end, I thought, oh, what's going to happen now is it's going to be, a page is going to appear, get closed, and then some kid's going to get picked up and brought home. You said this just in the WhatsApp group before I had yeah. watched the movie. And I was like, I'm not going to berate him for that. So, but at least I know that's not the twist. <laughs> yeah, you knew that wasn't the twist. I mean, that's okay because I, I'm saying things that it wasn't. But yeah. I really honestly thought that's that's because there was so much comic book in it because you had a character who was who had such an interest in superheroes and, and the comic books and because of the narratives, but also because in the case of Samuel L. Jackson's character, the superheroes could do things that he could never, ever do because of his condition. Yeah. Because of the condition I mean, that he had. 
I mean, like, I mean, obviously, like the twist is that it's an origin story, but just not the one that you thought you were watching. And yeah. that's you know, yeah, very, exactly, very yeah, stuff, you know. But I love, I do love the the con, you know, that it's kind of very much the opposites that they had in the film. And I know that Samuel Jackson's character Elijah Price yeah. does go into this and talks about them being the balances. We need to balance things, but they're so far uh, in terms of their uh, their who they are and what their makeup is. And and, and I I done a little bit of digging on this because. Elijah Price in one scene explains his condition to David Dunn and to to David Dunn's son Joseph. Yeah, I just the says, kid shouldn't is... have been there first. Just saying, I was just like, no, this is I a think... bit weird. I wouldn't bring well, my daughter okay. to a conversation like that. My my dad brings me to all kinds of shit that he probably shouldn't have, and it's like a weird thing to do. <laughs> no, but and the... I'm I'm 35. <laughs> I just kind of go, yeah, I'll go along with you. But the discussion they had was very. I mean, he was very clear. Yeah. yeah. And he just said, look, you know, this is what I got. I've got, he, had a, he has a condition called osteogenesis imperfecta, which just basically means that he's, he has imperfect bone formation. So, and he mentions he's got type one. Type one is the mildest one. So in addition to having bones that could easily fracture, his spine could also be curved. We don't see any evidence of that. Maybe the little bit could have loose joints, uh, lack of muscle tone. We don't really see him he's, because he's always wearing a lot of clothing. He could have blue in the white of the eye. So a little bit of tinge of blue. Didn't see him with that either. Either, And if you were younger, when you had it younger, you could actually develop hearing loss. So it's a very serious condition. And, and what it all comes down to, he does, he does mention this as well. And it comes down to his body not being able to make something, a protein very well. And that protein is collagen. It's, there's, there's a collagen, type 1 collagen. And type 1 collagen, you'll find it all over your body. It's in your tendons. It's in your ligaments. It's in your skin it's in your teeth and it's also in your bones and these collagen molecules these proteins are produced and they combine with a couple of others a couple of other proteins and they're able to create these uh, long fibrils that can come together and form bone or form skin or form tendons and ligaments and in this case for type one the one that he uh, the character has in this case which is the least severe it's down to mutations in a couple of genes called COL1A1, COL1A2. That's just the name of these genes uh, that they call them in, in DNA. And it's an inherited disease, or it could be caused by a genetic mutation. And in effect, what it comes down to is that because his body's not making this enough of this collagen, or he's not making it in the right way, then there's a problem with making connective tissue that you would have in ligaments, that you have in, in tendons, that you would have in bone. And... What, what can happen, why it might work, is that the, the gene, for example, could be producing the protein, but the protein has to fold in a very specific way. It's like, you know, when you're wrapping a present, a very well-wrapped present, would have the paper very nice and cleanly done. But if sometimes you're rushing or if you're distracted, you might not do the best job on wrapping the present. The proteins in this case can't seem to fold properly into the way that they should fold to be able to do the job that they were designed to do. And the problem with this then for, for, for anyone with it, and in this case for Elijah Price, there is no cure for this disease. None. And because, and because it's the, you know, he kind of says, you know, I am your opposite to Bruce Willis. Do we think that that's where the origin of his powers came from was essentially the body is doing something too well? Exactly. So that's exact. That's how it has to be balanced. So in, in Elijah Price's case... His body isn't making collagen the way it should be done. But in the case of Bruce Willis's character, 
it's probably not only making plenty of the traditional collagen, but in some way it's also making some sort of enforced version of it. So some sort of reinforced version that could be, you know, stronger, um, can be denser, could be more easily um, produced. So it's it's it comes down to their biology. It comes down to their genetics. Now the the other power he has the the idea that he, we can see crimes when he touches people. Yeah, I don't know how to explain that. That's you know. Um, so, well, yeah. Again, yeah. I had made my little checklist for this, <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah. That's, I that's was like, so I was like, super strength. We can. That might happen if your body. If you're, it, it could be. I mean, because it's it's only subtle. It's not like he's able to lift planes or cars. He's he's just able to. He's just some a boy on the weights, like. Yeah, he's 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 good lad at the weights, like you know. He wouldn't be <laughs> yeah. in the way of protein. He wouldn't need that, like you know. Yeah, yeah, he'd be yeah. able to. He'd be able to. Like, we've all bumped into a lad who could lift that in Sally's. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but he was not lifting cars or airplanes. So it's not it's not an extreme super strength. But he's. He's just able to do enough that that he can stand out beyond other people. Also, in fact, he can't get hurt in the same way, and he could take pain. It comes down to the fact that his skin is stronger, his ligaments are stronger, ligaments are uh, uh, other elements. His bones, of course, are stronger. So, is that getting a tick? I'm gonna. I, I give that a tick because it, there are instances of people who are like that. Because if you train like very hard in the gym, uh, such as people like you know Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. Or you can have a slight genetic anomaly that allows you to suddenly produce a lot of the protein necessary for big, dense muscle. Then, yeah, that's perhaps something that could be the case. Yeah, on one of the lists I was reading last night, there actually is, there are cases of people who they've never broken a bone, but it, again, that's yeah. super high bone density. Um, so there's a lot yeah. of research look at me being the scientist a lot of um there's a lot of research going into how this happens and why but like the the bone side of him of his character it's like there are instances in the world which is cool absolutely complete and so it 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 basically balances this osteogenesis imperfecta the condition that elijah price samuel jackson's character has so there are people out there and it's just subtle it's not as i said it's not huge it's not like he's thor and he can pick up a bus or he can pick up an airplane or he can move a planet like Superman. It's just enough to put him on the other side of it so that he's he has abilities and and, and he's more greater stamina and he doesn't get sick. You know, that's the other thing. It also affects his immune system in some way. I mean, he's just, he, he's never sick. He's never had a cold. And that's another element of the... Of I was, the next, I was next on my... Immune system was next on my checklist. Am I yeah. giving that a tick? Well, you know, see, the immune system is kind of an unusual thing. Um, the immune system, part of the immune system is produced from the bone marrow, uh, actually. So you part of your immune system comes out of there. Uh, they call it the innate immune system. It's kind of the first line of defense. And then you have the one that can be trained, the adaptive immune system. That's the one that has to be trained. But your immune system has to be trained. It has to be tested all the time. And that's why, you know, it's it's you know, it's important. It sounds weird, but it's important to get a cold every now that's and then. That's why I let because... my daughter lick the floor when she was a baby. I was building her oh, immune system. So get those germs into you, you love. That's it. Get them in there, lovely. <laughs> and then you can have your fruit afterwards. Um, so... It, it, I'm not saying that you want to be giving people like, you know, the cholera and then hoping that they recover uh, to train their immune system. But it's like running. It's like running. If you go out to run a marathon, you don't say you go day zero. I can't. I haven't run anything in months. And day one, I go out and run a marathon. You just can't do it. It's just not going to be able to do it. But you have to you have to build it up. And in his case, 
I think he has to build up his immune system, but per- perhaps he is. Perhaps he picks up the, the in bacterial infections, the viral infections, all the pathogens that we get, and it's just his immune system absolutely eradicates it before he's even noticed he's picked it up. It's just on, you know, high alert all the time. That could be the case. So I'm giving him two ticks so far. Is the final take is where we get let down? Like there is no explanation. Yeah, for being able to see, yeah it's just like you know, people. The second coming, darkness. obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously, what it is, it's basically Professor Xavier's power, but in order to use it, you have to touch someone. Yeah, I was trying to figure out: is there is there any kind of immune thing that it could explain it? And I guess it's some kind of just new sense. But when you sense something, you have to detect something so with eyes we detect light your ears def- detect vibration your when you touch something with your with your hands you're detecting um you know the this the solid elements or the softness of an object so you're detecting matter by touch um you're detecting vibrations you're detecting light what would you detect if you're detecting what people did in the past or as, or as uh, <laughs> ghost ghost stuff <laughs> like isn't there like a danger <laughs> sense that is a thing that people feel uneasy. I've I've read this somewhere. One might even well, call it a spider. Like someone someone kind of yeah. feels uneasy when something bad is about to happen. Maybe like it's some kind of like it's so yeah. I I don't know if this is genuine, but it's a thing that I think, happens. Oh, people... I, and I know that I know that feeling. The kind of feeling you'd have if you'd just eaten fourteen garlic and cheese chips. And you like, disgusting. Or on that on that train of thought as well, Andy, it's it's like um deja vu. Deja, like what yeah. is deja vu? Deja vu's been explained. You know? It's kind of like um it's not it's it's <laughs> it's, it's 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 not that you've ruining my nice before. things. It's kind of how your brain processes new information and it kind of mistakenly thinks that this has happened before. I've read this about, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but it's, it can be explained. One time I dreamt a whole episode of Home and Away before the episode was aired. I think that's just a fart of the writers <laughs> of Home and Away that someone can just dream up. Um, but it, so- it's, some kind of, it's some kind of survival <laughs> thing where like, you know, like parents know something bad is about to happen and they get a feeling beforehand. Or maybe it's just mm. a way of making logic. So I was thinking like, maybe it's some kind of, amazing version of this where he can tell something bad is going to happen but, but he gets he gets excessive information but and that old phrase of yeah. i can feel, feel it in my waters and he can't take water so there are birds of prey who can who not only can see the visible spectrum but they can also see uv light and the reason that they've evolved this is to be able to track track their prey because some prey when they urinate it gives off at the uv spectrum and that would give them that advantage. Then there are snakes who can see infrared. So they get that extra piece of information. Heat, they can see heat. So they could see subjects that they want to attack. And, and they can easily hide because, you know, it's a lot of snakes cold-blooded. And, and this, is this, this is just an, an enhancement on an already existing sense that we have. So that's both sight-related. And then, you, of course, you have other uh, species who have advanced hearing or advanced sense. And you talked about spiders. So spiders have little hairs on their... On their, on their legs, perhaps some of them do, uh, some of them don't. And what they can do is they can very precisely detect small vibrations in the air. Again, it's sense, it's a touch. It's like cats and their whispers. Cats, when you cut a cat's whispers, they lose their balance and stuff. They get really insecure because they use that to judge Your space cat is and whispers. everything. 
Yeah, well, wh- whispers. Yes, yeah, yeah, whispers. The evil one. And I was also very. I was about to when you said birds of prey. I was going to make a joke about how I am a bird of prey. But then you launched into something about urinating, and I was like, Yeah, oh, oh, well, I mean, birds time. of prey are, are fantastic. I think they're amazing species. Just fantastic what they can do. Birds of prey are just <laughs> oh, hawks thanks, and falcons. Just amazing. I mean, do you really want me known as a bird of prey? Like, I mean, it's. <laughs> It's kind of cool. I'm going to make a costume. So, <laughs> I should so be a on, the, on the count, on the David Dunn count, I would say the uh, the slight two out of three ain't bad as Meatloaf would say. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was just about two out to of three. Say. Yeah, um, he, yeah, Dunn has a couple of good things going for him uh, on the old power power side of things because he's not overly powered. When you, as I say, compare him to Steve Rogers, and and that's also the thing they refer to a lot of the comic books from DC and from Marvel there's, there's hints at that I really like that as that well that was you very know? So, good um, and, and the cast is is really good as well Don't, uh, Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson are fantastic together any films they've been together they've been together in a couple they're very very good they're very very good together and, and Robin Wright plays the uh, the David's wife. I don't have an origin story for this one because it's just because, you know, after Sixth Sense, they worked together again. But very, very quickly, there is a great reason why Bruce Willis ended up in the Sixth Sense. And that was because Bruce Willis is famously, he uses the word uh, chuffa. When he looks through a script, he will tear pages out of a script going, that's chuffa, chuffa, chuffa. You don't need this. You don't need this. He is very hands-on about bringing a movie in on budget about everything going right, about, like, look, unnecessary. He just is a machine when it comes to this. And he was making a hockey movie. He was the, this grizzled old hockey coach. It was going to be a Disney family film. And what happened was him being Bruce Willis, he wanted more and more control over these things and ended up firing so many members of the crew that they couldn't make the film anymore. They had to abandon the film because they just... They had not got the manpower left to make it. So Disney were like, uh, we can't let you away with this. We either sue you for millions because of lost profits or you make three movies for us for like no money. And he was like, all right, I'll obviously do the three movies for no money. One of which was The Kid, which I, I quite liked as well. But they had also bought The Sixth Sense blind there was such buzz around this script they had bought it they fired the guy that bought it but they had this script just sitting there they got it made with bruce willis because essentially he would be sued by disney had he not made three movies for them in very very short and that is how That's bruce willis ends up in the sixth sense and, and but but the script i thought was written by m night s was it yeah yeah and there was a huge buzz around it there was a huge buzz about it. every studio wanted it and the guy that was that was in charge of getting these movies for disney uh was like look i look i i need this so he bought it but for an insane amount of money uh, M. Knight really played the game well. He bought it for an insane... I don't have the exact number now, but it was an insane amount of money. So much that Disney said, we we have to get rid of you. We have to fire you. You'd never asked us to do this. We, we bought a movie that we, none of us want for an insane amount of money. And then it turned out to be quite a good, quite a good gamble. It did all right, didn't it? <laughs> the weight scene I think is a kind of a key to his origin in this you know where he's lifting lifting the weights Mm. where clearly like he has always had the potential to do these things but only when he gives the lash does he realize he can do it so I'm guessing up to then he would have felt pain when lifting the weights he would have felt like a normal person because he hadn't pushed through it 
but I think it's kind of like you know when you work out and you do sweat and you get tired but you're not pushing yourself to your full potential because there's a bit of you that says no I shouldn't do this I'm not able to do this and then he got the go-ahead nearly to say you're able to do this so he's like okay it's kind of taken taken off the mental barrier yeah yeah something like that yeah so people sometimes yeah. have that with uh with you know for me I, I when I run I kind of don't listen to that side of myself sometimes saying you can't do that so uh, you know every now and then yeah. you have your doubts coming in yeah. oh you're not going to make it and I kind of go uh, no you don't know what you're talking about I'm going to be grand it's kind of that's what I always say about running I'm, I'm that's when I'm the nicest to myself I'm my biggest yeah. cheerleader when I go for a run it's like you can go that little bit further he, that little bit further but he got a lot of self self affirmation because of course surviving a train wreck and then finding out that he'd never been sick yeah. and surviving that car crash when he was younger without a mark and suddenly he's got a lot of things kind of going from saying, hey, you know, I can do this. And it's the same when we're using the running analogy, when you're running a marathon, if you've done the good training, if you've done it all right, and you're in the marathon and things are maybe a bit, a bit dodgy at some point, you kind of go to yourself, well, actually, I've done all the training. I've done the all right. You know, I, I can mm-hmm. do this. You know, this is there. So in many ways, is confidence the ultimate superpower? <laughs> Barry, chart your third and final choice there. The third film is Into the the Spider-Verse. Okay, let's do this one last time, yeah? For real this time. This is it. My name is Miles Morales. I was bitten by a radioactive spider, and for like two days, I've been the one and only Spider-Man. Great film. Which kind of speaks for itself, because it's got spider in the title which means might have spider-man say it and it's got that theory of many places existing in parallel (laughs) the multiverse yeah but why and so but why did you pick if has like an example of a great origin story well i guess the thing with this film is that the character of miles morales is a very recent addition to the marvel comics stable we have seen a hint at this character in the MCU because in Spider-Man Homecoming, the character played by Donald Glover is Aaron Davis, who is the uncle of Miles Morales. And he plays the Prowler, effectively the Prowler of the MCU. And in a, there is a scene where it kind of hints at Miles Morales. I think it was left out of the film, though. That's saying something about I'm going to be late home because, you know, everything is, I'm kind of stuck. Uh, uh, he says, yeah, I got a claim on this city. My nephew lives here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, and yeah. that's who he's talking about. He's talking about Miles yeah. Morales. And this character, Miles Morales, is a lot of people are very interested in seeing what, what's going to happen with this character. I think he's going to appear in the MCU at some point. But it's also just another way of retelling the origin story for for the Spider-Man character. But what's really good, not giving anything away here, but what's really good about this film, comparison to other superhero films, is that in the first, what, 20 minutes, the main character is killed. The, ba- the main Chris hero himself. is killed. So when you're, when you're suddenly watching this and you see Spider-Man actually killed, you're thinking, wait a minute, I'm watching a Spider-Man film here. Why have they suddenly killed off the main character in the first 20 minutes? So you're probably watching it as, uh, watching the film going, how are they going to come away from this? And they come away from it in a very nice way. They come up, they come up with a nice, a new origin story for the character. They create another, another Spider-Man-based character, Miles Morales' version of Spider-Man. And then they bring in <laughs> Spider-Man again. 
Ah, Peter Parker Spider-Man comes back uh, through the magic of the multiverse. I mean, like, there's so many origin-y things in this. There's so many lovely little origin-y lessons. I mean, the, the obviously, the, the incredibly lovely one, I think, is set up at the very, very start, which is anyone could wear the mask. You know, it's never a case of uh, the Chris Pine Spider-Man. Never one says, you can't do this. I mean, you know, it's very much like, he just says to him, wear a mask, it'll protect, it'll protect your friends and family. Like, he knows straight away that this this guy can this guy can do it. This, it's a great movie for faith in people. That's what the, this movie is all about: is people having faith in in people. It's it's the Chris Pine Spider Man having faith in Miles Morales. It's Miles Morales having faith in the kind of the you know the the slobbish other world Peter B. Parker um, that he you know he essentially inspires him to get back with his wife and get his life together. It's just, it's just, it's a very, very, and this is, this is my bread and butter. It's a very, very lovely, positive movie about, again, the ultimate superpower is believing in yourself. Absolutely. And it's, it's what, what, what I, but what I did love how, because the thing is, Marvel Comics have all these different iterations of the Spider-Man characters. Some of them occupy the same universe. So they're in the same, uh, the same Earth. I think the Earth that they call is Earth 616. And that's referred to in Spider-Man: Far From Home with with um, with with Mysterio, with Quentin Beck, yeah. when he's chatting with Peter Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, but what they did with the other characters, they all exist as well. There's comic books for all these characters. So the uh, Spider-Man Noir and the um, the Spider Pig character, they all have their own comic books as well. So it was just so good how they brought them all together. And what they, you could see this device that was built by Kingpin. I mean, there was a whole uh, a sleuth of villains in this, and Kingpin being the, being the main one. He built a device that effectively evolved using the multiverse to bring copies of people into his own universe. And how you do that is you just put a small amount of DNA from that person into this device. Now, who had figured all this out? I don't know. And what happens, of course, the Spider-Man's character, uh, Spider-Man, the original Peter Parker, his head is is exposed to this field for an incredible amount of time, which it, which in turn then creates these gateways to these other, other um, versions of the universe. And quite different, of course, because one of them actually is a pig. So you have like uh, talking animals in one of these universes. But it, what it also means, though, is that in some way, from a genetic point of view, they're all connected to each other. So that spider pig has some genetic connection on, on in some way to the original Peter Parker. It's easy to see it for Peter B. Parker because, of course, it's Peter Parker. Um, with Gwen, St- Gwen Stacy, I'm not so sure what that connection could be. There could be some sort of, of genetic overlap or just because they have the... Also, because the other thing, not just their um, fact that they're um, uh, humans or not humans, the, the actual genetic marker, just thinking about it now, is the mutation caused by the spider bite. So it's the genetic DNA carried by the radioactive spider that's now imprinted on their DNA. So that's what it is. Boom, I'm just thinking on my feet here. That's what it is, the track that, that connects them all. So they've all been exposed to this spider or a ver- version of a spider in their own universes. And that's how they're all connected to each other. What are the chances of, uh, what are the chances <laughs> of Spider-Man? Chances I like, of Spider-Man. So, well, be like, so, the, so let's say let's, right, so <clears throat> Spider-Man was a normal dude who was bitten by... Something we I won't even say we won't even say like it has to be a spider it has to be something 
can your will having your DNA messed with make you any kind of superhero? Uh, yeah. Come okay, on, so, I need to take these boxes. Okay, so first of all, right, let's get let's get things straight. Insects. Could you have radioactive insects? Absolutely. There are instances of ants and other insects living within abandoned nuclear power stations, and they are radioactive. Do you want to be bitten by one of them? Absolutely not, because there is a good chance that they'll transmit radioactive poisoning to you, and depending on how much you're exposed to, you could just be very, very sick or potentially die. Now, you don't want to have either of those things happen. In terms of genetic mutation and using you know, being exposed to radioactivity or radioactive substance, we know that they can cause abnormalities. We know that they can cause birth defects. We know that they can affect people's abilities to do things. We know that they can cause cancer uh, because it can affect cells, breaks down DNA. That's what it's all about. It's all about um, destroying or mutating and changing DNA. And just having a random spider bite you and hoping, fingers crossed, that it doesn't um, destroy your DNA in a bad way, but actually gives you superpowers is super unlikely uh, unfortunately the around the around way to do it is to do it in a more controlled manner not using radioactive material but to use something like genetic engineering and that would be using things like uh, crispr cas and and we've talked about crispr cas that's the one with the scissors that we were talking about regards to cloning and you could change dna at a particular location and you could add a gene or take out a gene or put something in or take something out etc all very, when you're talking about people, really hard to do, also highly unethical. There it is again, I have to say it. It's just, that's the way it is. And and in that sense, I'm going to say a big fat no to genetic, gene, uncontrolled genetic mutation via radioactive spiders. What's more likely, Spider-Man or the fly? Like if <laughs> I get bit by, if I get bit by a radioactive spider, am I more likely to become Spider-Man or... To be walking around having my missus shotgun me in the face. You're, you're, spoilers you're, for the spoilers for the fly there. You're you're more likely. You're actually. You didn't give me another option. You're most likely to. I mean, I, look, be, Barry. In my mind, there was no third option yeah, there. It there, was, there is. There definitely is a third option because you're most likely to be six feet under. That's what you're most oh. likely to be. Um, because you know you just don't want you don't under no circumstances should be exposed to any radioactive substances it's particularly dangerous stuff like we're talking here uh, for example plutonium is one that's used by the space agencies nasa they use it in for example the rover that's on mars at the moment the one that landed there recently perseverance that uses plutonium as its energy source so the small amount of plutonium in there, it's decaying because it's hot, it's radioactive. It wants to get rid of all this excess energy. It wants to relax. And as it relaxes, it starts to give off heat. And the inside on that, they have a thermoelectric generator, which converts the heat into electricity. And that provides then electricity for the batteries. And you don't want to be exposed to this stuff. This stuff is lethal. And then if you're looking at uranium or anything that's used in, in warheads, gotta stay away from that and that's why nuclear radiation that's produced by power stations you know power stations nuclear power stations are pretty clean in terms of green energy a lot of people be thinking to me oh no why are you saying that they're very much carbon uh, 
carbon neutral. I mean, not post, absolutely carbon neutral, but they don't give off carbon dioxide. There's no greenhouse gases emissions. Only problem is you produce radioactive waste. You need to bury under the ground in concrete and, and maybe even lead for a couple of hundred years, maybe even more. Do you remember the time in the 90s or was it the early 2000s? I can't remember when everyone was sent like packets of iodine tablets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we yeah gave, in case yeah, of I, I know someone who gave them to their dog. <laughs> Why? They just wanted to see what would happen to the dog. <laughs> dog dead. <laughs> the, the, that, de- that dog the, is dead. This podcast does not support that, animal testing. That dog, that dog was taken to a vet quite rapidly and, and survived. How old was the friend when he did this? It's in his teens, teenage years. Oh, dude, that's not okay. Andy, take that out. <laughs> what a horrible... Child, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was, well, which would have been what age would have been okay? An adult. I mean, if it was a child who didn't know any better, but it was a teenager who didn't know any. Who better. definitely should know better. So, I, so on the radioactive side of things, that's an absolute no-no. You know, you want to do controlled genetic engineering, and you're not going to do that with radioactive spiders or radioactive materials. So that is just file under bin. Not going to happen. But okay, so even with if we even leave out the radioactive side of it, is there a way to like? You know, the way cloning is happening and all that kind of crack. Like mixing genes. Transgenetics, that's actually called. Transgenetics yeah, field. Yeah, so where you that's take, what I said. So transgenetics. You, transgenetics. Yeah. Where, you take, where you take the gene of one species and put it into the the the, the uh, genome of another. That's the entire DNA of another yeah. species. Because like we have ligers. We have ligers. We don't, and mules. We don't have the verkies yet, no. No, we don't have the verkies Verky, yet. No. For those who don't know what a verky is, it's a cross between a vulture and a turkey. So we don't have that yet, which would be which would be great, and we haven't got a dat either. Yeah, they've got very smelly. Um, what about a dat? You know, or 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 a fodder. A fodder, yeah, good old fodder, yeah. or a dat cross between a, do- <laughs> a dog and a cat. We haven't seen a, a, a dat yet. Oh no 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 no, we have, and it's all alone in the little cat dog, cat dog. Oh cat dog, yeah, cat yeah. dog. So we have. <laughs> There's a, 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 physio- a physiological issue with cat dog, which could be. Yeah, I've I've many times wondered <laughs> yeah. how it pooped. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something that needs to be discussed. But anywho, back to or not, not, but not by us. That could be discussed by other people. Um, back to the the the, the list that Andy's ticking through. Radioactive radio, radioactivity is out, but doing the genetic engineering side is also probably out. So I'm going to say no to both of those. Sorry. Oh, Andy's little face there. You broke his hand. Well, I mean, like, I'm, also, there's going to be a winner here, and winning so far is David Dunn. Oh yeah, two Dunn. Two of the two of his three things actually happening. Atman. One, one ish. Kind of controlling, controlling insects. Controlling insects. Yeah. Yeah. Like Spider-Man, you see Spider-Man, you see, yeah, it's like it's half tech, and a lot of his tech is quite easily done. It is, it is just web shooters. Here comes Al Barry now with this shit on web shooters. Now. Yeah, but what if Ant-Man? Could somehow control Spider-Man then? Uh, it's a different species. Well, he's not an actually. He's not a spider, though. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But like, if you're controlling ants, and then in real life, if they're controlling beetles, what is stopping? I don't. Well, I'd just be controlling a man, wouldn't I? I have fan fiction <laughs> gold here. That would I be. I mean, look, that's. I'll be that's, honest. I'd read it. That's, that, <laughs> that is, as, as Andy has said, that's just control. That's just controlling a man, and you don't need Ant Man for that. You just need Kilgrave from Jessica Jones. But I'm just wondering because you both kind of switch between hero and superhero. What's the difference? Yeah, that's so. Like, yeah. what makes a superhero and what's a hero? 
Yeah, in terms of Stan Lee was asked that I think before, and he was asked to define what a superhero was, and and I can't remember what his definition was, but I mean, I I am my from my perspective would always think that a superhero, they are perhaps somebody who can can do or achieve something that you don't ordinarily see every single day. Now, you could imagine that some sports people are superheroes, and you can also say that because they're exceptional athletes trained to the pinnacle of their abilities. But many many people who are defined as superheroes would fall into that bracket. So that would be Natasha Romanoff, for example. Although you can make arguments for how her body recovers, it could be accelerated. Also could say the same about um, Bruce Wayne and Batman. He's at the pinnacle of his abilities. So there's a very... It's very difficult, I think, because Olympic heroes, sorry, Olympic athletes, a lot of them could do things that superheroes can do, you know, and they could do very, very well, you know, jumping, uh, running, um, you know, long distance stamina, lifting. A lot of these things are things we associate with superheroes. I think superheroes, you're looking at the next, there's there's a next level, the highest extreme, like people wearing like uh, exoskeleton suits, like Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit, like the Ant-Man suit, like Thor, like the Hulk. Um, if you've seen uh, the new series Invincible on Amazon Prime, people who have this ability to be able to do these things, you just don't see every day. You know, you just don't see people flying around the place with uh, by themselves or lifting buildings. That stuff isn't done by people, ordinary people. That's where I would see the super come in. But there's a grey area. There is really a grey area. But that's a very good definition because my my big, the thing I was kind of having difficulty with was like you've got, you know, Thor is a god. You've got Superman is from another planet and he's got like superhero powers. But then you've got Bruce Wayne and Ant-Man. They're just men. Yeah. So that's quite good. So it's actually, that actually kind of answers my question there. They have a tech that allows them to do things. Yeah. Without that yeah. tech, they couldn't I do mean, it. I it's mean, in, it's in Justice League, isn't it? Like where Flash says, what's your superpower? And he goes, I'm rich. Yeah, like an absolute bad boy. Like, yeah, I think like, like a hero is someone who does good. And a superhero is someone that uses their powers, be it money, be it, be it throwing lightning, to do also do good, but anyone that does good is is a hero. Shiv, you're raising the wheat, and you're a hero. Yeah, there oh, you are. It's just really lovely. You need to like edit some nice like inspirational music over that little yeah, speech should, there. Right? That music. was lovely. You should put yeah. in the music they played for the Independence Day speech from Bill Pullman. It's really important to think about this as well. The how well they did this in spite into the Spider Verse. How they brought all the characters together. I just thought it was just so well done, and the character, the actors who they picked to play. All of these alternatives were were very well very well chosen. So, for instance, Nicolas Cage is Spider Man Noir, and he's just so good at the character so role. Good, uh, it was very funny. Yeah, and then you have then uh, you know you have the Chris Pine as one Peter Parker, but then it's Jake Johnson as the other one. And Johnson, Jake Johnson is the so good as Peter B. Parker because he kind of looks back at his life. He's a bit older, and he looks back at his life in a more kind of comedic view he's kind of like yeah i've made all these mistakes i've done all these things i've done that i've done this the other thing about this approach with the multiverse is that it can pick people not from the same time in the different universes but from different times because spider-man noir is set in the 30s in his universe and and peter b parker is older than the the version in, in the in miles morales universe and you have for example the the futuristic character which is um penny parker spdr the one with the biomechanical suit and the radioactive spider inside. So they're all coming from different elements. And then you have like um, a spider pig. I kind of was, a, one thing I was a little bit disappointed about, 
I honestly thought this was the ideal platform and film to introduce Spider Kermit. It would have been the ultimate character to include, but instead they put in Spider Pig and played by the excellent John Mulaney, who was the, the, the voice for that. So I thought it was very good. Like a like a mine hidden at the end. <laughs> there was um a, that brilliant line where Spider Pig was like, "That's all, folks," and he was like, "Can he say that?" I love yeah, I yeah. love those kinds of yeah. things. I thought it's that was such brilliant. a it's such a great great Philip. What a, what a great Stan Lee cameo. It's just, oh, yeah. so good. It's a, it's a perfect film. Even though one little thing is like, well, I've I seen this many, many times and then I watched all of The Sopranos in lockdown and I loved The Sopranos. I'd never seen it before. Just absolutely loved it. And then watched it again for this. So it was the first time seeing it, having seen The Sopranos. And that new king, that that new take on Kingpin, where he's very, you know, he's very, you know, he's very Jersey. He's very essentially Tony Soprano. It's like, oh, I kind of like Kingpin now. <laughs> but they they had some great. I mean, there's so many uh, um, actors in here who are voicing the characters. Like the Kingpin actor, I didn't realize this. I had to look it up afterwards. Is um, is is Saber, leave Sabretooth himself? Yeah, it's Sabretooth himself, Shriver. like Liv yeah. Shriver. And then and then Doctor Octopus is. Uh, Agatha, Agatha, yeah. Catherine Anne, yeah. you know, and uh, can we just can we just appreciate the thirsty Aunt May? Oh, obviously, yeah. She was well thirsty to get out. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. I just was like that. Just came right back, and I was like, need to say. <laughs> Wait, who was Aunt May thirsty for? She just was like about going dating again. Oh, she made like, yeah, 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 there was the reference yeah, yeah, and it yeah. was just so. Oh yeah, would you, for you the... know, yeah, would you set up yeah. a dating app for your? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then, and and but one thing about his powers that differ from the, from from Peter Parker is the ability to become invisible. So oh, I, yeah, yes, I, I yeah. had it written here. I had I had electric punch and invisible. So he might he might take first place here. Hit us up, possible <laughs> electric punch. Is he getting a tick? Hold on a minute. This guy's at zero because you you're not going to get these powers anyway. So he's already <laughs> gone. <laughs> He's already gone. But what oh, I can you tell just you broke that, Andy's heart. But, but, but what I can You're tell you is You're making a mockery there, in my charge. There are <laughs> some spiders that can camouflage because it's a form of camouflage, right? That's what he's doing. It's a camouflage. Um, it's just very extreme. But there is a couple of spiders. There's a crab spider uh, a species that can change its color to match leaves or petals. So it can kind of appear like it's not visible or seen. I mean, that's what he does do. He does, you know become invisible but he's basically camouflaging himself to whatever's around him um other than that then there's just spiders who can hide themselves in plain sight so there's even a spider who can disguise itself or is how it actually looks it looks like um basically bird excrement and it hides itself in plain sight because it just assumes that no one is going to touch it because it looks like a bird bird poo unattractiveness to anyone who might want to eat it is is its superpower yeah yeah, so that that's the that's it. But the 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 other thing I think one of the things you did say the one power I will tell you about is that might be possible is the web slingers. Okay, so the webs the idea of a web slinger, and you need to create a material that can have the same toughness as spider silk because spider silk's really tough, and there are people out there who are trying to create artificial versions of spider silk, and not necessarily to make a spider spider web slingers, but to make stronger ropes for rescue helicopters for search and rescue uh, ladders or for parachutes so if you can actually turn this material into things that are that thick you know that needs to be that thick for a parachute or for a search and rescue helicopter ladder then there is the opportunity of course to think well maybe we could actually use it in a web slinger 
So that I'm going to actually say, uh, watch this space, maybe. Someone is going to try it. I love how not <laughs> definitive so you are. <laughs> yeah, so close to a tick. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, if it, if it was a it's full... It's a big, fat, maybe. It's a huge, <laughs> it's a huge maybe. So on the, on the scale, on this scale, I'm going to have to give um, Spider-Man a big zero. But on the individual powers uh, separately from each other, the invisibility thing, I would say, is about a half. And the idea of creating a spider silk, artificial synthetic spider silk, I would also say would be... Actually, I'm going to give that a one because they've done it already. So one and a half is his final score. Well, that's if he could actually figure out a way to... It'd be two if he could figure out a way how to create a web slinger to fire it properly. So, yeah, that's what I would give it. Okay. Well, the electric punch? No, gone. Forget that. Okay. <laughs> So, so one and a half. You're really grasping at straws. Yeah, one and a half. Right. Anything else on Spider-Man? I mean, I guess we'll, we'll look. We will come back to multiverse and all this kind of stuff. But yeah. this was more about this was more about origin stories. So I love. I just loved it. I just. I just really missed the the lack of airtime for Kermit the Frog in this this film. <laughs> You only get one. I only allow I, one in the end. I was getting really concerned. Andy, I texted him. <laughs> going, Kermit. <laughs> Move on. Challenge Barry. Yeah. Is there a theme tune for it? Nah, look, we'll, we'll get there. By episode <laughs> seven. Episode seven, I will have a, I'll have a, I'll have a theme song. So, Challenge Barry. And you have it. Just cut that. Yeah. Last week we had the uh, very, very clever question, uh, very complicated question, very clever question from the Found Footage Friday boys about if one is time traveling back far enough, do you have to consider the fact that the Earth may have changed shape and will have land masses missed and all this stuff? Like, do you have to? Do you have to plan for distance in your time travel? Barry, enlighten us. Hit us up. Okay, so I have an answer to the question now. I, I was under the impression that it wasn't just about land masses and things, but also the fact that the Earth itself is rotating around the sun. So the Earth's position in orbit around the sun would also change. And also the Earth's actual period of rotation is changing. So how the actual Earth rotates and, and its orientation, all slowly changing. And it's not enough to, when you're doing time travel, to just think about your three-dimensional um, position on the Earth's surface. So... You're looking at uh, X position. If you're looking at mathematical terms, you talk about X, Y, and Z. So, you know, how high above the ground you are, your altitude, and then your, your latitude and longitude. There'd be like the three measurements you're going to be looking at. Altitude, latitude, and longitude. But I think you also have to think about not only that position on the Earth, but where is the Earth in its orbit around the sun? Because you need to make sure that you land on the Earth in the correct orbital position and also at the correct altitude, longitude, and latitude. Now, we can do you can do that, because what you can do is you can just put all that data into a computer model. You can figure out exactly where the Earth would be at any period of time of its orbit. Thanks to the fact we've collected a whole bunch of data, we already can see how the Earth's rotation has been changing. We can predict how it changed in the past. And one way to do that, and what you need to reference is, you need to reference the stars in the night sky. So you need to use those as your point of reference. That's what they use in, for example, space. They use a lot of stars because they're so far off in the distance, they're effectively stationary. And they use them to kind of align. 
and using things like, uh, for example, in space to orientate, you use gyroscopes, which is what you'll find in mobile phones, for example, which, you know, so you know if things are moving or orientated in a certain way. But in space, they also need to be able to orient it off the stars a little bit as a, as a first guess and approximate, which goes back then to what they did thousands of years, thousands of years, a couple of hundred years ago when people are sailing around the world in ships, and probably thousands of years ago too, of course, navigate off the stars. And it would be the same with time travel. If you're time traveling to a particular location on the Earth, you would need to know your altitude, your latitude, and your longitude at that location. But you also would then have to figure out where you are in the Earth's orb in the orbital um, period of the Earth. And also, then you would also need to do another check on what position certain stars would be at that time when you're at that position in the orbit. Now, people who've built time machines certainly probably have thought about this. I'm thinking Doc Brown probably built all that stuff into it. Boom, sorted. I mean, if that doesn't answer your question, fan footage Friday, I don't know. I, I mean, hope it. I <laughs> hope it. I hope it does. I mean, yeah. that's that's my I mean, answer. A very good question. A very good question. And credit to the ship. Are you satisfied? I am satisfied with the answer to that. Very uh, satisfied so with the answer. This comes well. from lovely handsome Tom. Okay, now this I think the odds are stacked in your favor here. It was a proper thought out, great question. So this week's challenge, Barry, comes from lovely. Lovely, Tom. Uh, Tony Stark is human. I've read this, and I should have read this before. Tony Stark is human, fit and handsome, no doubt, but human. So when he is flying around as Iron Man and hits the ground at the speed of sound, how come his brains don't smush out his eyes due to the sudden stop in velocity, or any organ for that matter? Why does it not hurt him at all? Does he have, like, a dampening field? Please help me, Barry. It's, to which it's... I replied with a link to your book, to be honest. <laughs> but it was such a good question that well, we had to throw it in. I thought it was really well written, like an agony ant question. <laughs> <laughs> Please help me. Yeah, it does sound like an agony ant question. Obviously, I could give you an answer now, but let's keep that for later. Yeah, it has to. You have to build it up. So you will find out the answer to uh, this week's challenge, Barry, next week. Uh, anything else on origin stories? Is there any particular one moment you can think of in, right in your lives where you thought, that's, ah, uh, that's, that's, I wouldn't be me without that. I don't want anything dark here. I want like, you know. <laughs> I feel that was aimed know. at me. Shiv, <laughs> uh, I'll let you answer that first. Oh, I'm going to be super cliched, but it was when Abby was born, I kind of found who I was and started kind of like, yeah, I found, I found who I was and what I wanted. And it, like, she's my legacy and I want to give her a legacy. My, I want to give her my legacy and it'd be something to be proud of. So she defined me and she shaped me. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what it was. So I, I loved, I loved science when I was at school. And I loved doing, I loved physics, but I, I always thought I'd be an accountant when I was young, when I was younger, because uh, I really liked, I really liked numbers and maths. I used to love just putting up, I used to make up sums for myself when I was 10 or 11 and just in notebooks be adding them all up. That's what I used to do. Um, obviously, I used to do like football and watch other things and cartoons and stuff, but that's what I really loved doing. And when I was in school, I thought, yeah, I think I'll be, I think I'll be an accountant. And then... Yeah, well, that didn't pan out because I think I was in physics and I got a really good mark in a test. And I thought, actually, you know what? This might be the thing for me. Um, and then that was it. That's that kind of sent me down the, the line of physics and science uh, properly, I think. But I always liked science. I always really liked it, but it wasn't something I thought uh, at that time when I was younger. You know, you don't think about these things. I didn't think, oh, I'll definitely be a scientist. I didn't think of that. I didn't think like that. But um, 
it's a bit cliche to kind of look at one physics test and say, oh, that's what I base my decision on. Not really, but... No, it's cute. It's the build-up. I, I like that. I like it, picturing it, you doing your little notebook of sums. Yeah. Kind yeah. of nerdy, but also very, very cute. I was bitten by a radioactive presenter. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it? A guy was leaving RT once. <laughs> Bit me. Patrick Keelty, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, so next week you will find the answer to this week's challenge, Barry. And also, I think we're getting a bit spooky, lads. Ooh. I think we're looking at a trio of ghostly tales. Oh, yeah. Someone's going to make a ghost noise there. Shiv, you're an actress. Ooh. Very good, yeah. yeah. Can I who stop are, now? Who are you going to call? In the interest of balance, do you want to do a noise? I don't know why I'd got to redo ghost noise. Blah. That's more of a zombie, right, isn't it? <laughs> Should have just left it a shift, to be honest. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Shift. For more like this, check out theshift.ie.